Good afternoon and welcome to uh, Hermes Friday afternoon or Friday lunchtime Q&A. Thank you very much for joining us, uh, whether or not you're watching live or uh, watching us uh, later on on YouTube. If you are watching on YouTube, um, do us a favour and subscribe. That way uh, you'll get a notification the next time we're going live and, um, and you won't forget, which is uh, good for you and good for us. Um, just very quickly, why, uh, why, why do we do these, uh, why do we do these uh, live streams? Uh, I guess uh, I, I've always said that the secret to our success is two things. We've got the right money, but also the right people. And by the right people, we don't just mean our in-house people. I mean, of course, our in-house team is excellent, state-of-the-art uh, um, team. But we've also got uh, excellent, excellent networks. And, um, and, and I guess that's part of, uh, part of the, the secret of our success is being able to deliver the right money, but also deliver the right external teams uh, to, solve, to solve problems. And um, today we've got uh, three excellent uh, panellists uh, to, to, to highlight that point, I guess. Uh, we, we've got the whole country covered. We're going uh, right around the country and we're starting off uh, today with Stuart Craig from Brisbane. And I'll bring Stuart in now. G'day, Stuart. How are you going? G'day, Nick. I'm good, thank you. Fantastic. So Stuart is, um, a, a, does a, is with Safe Turnarounds. He's a, a turnaround uh, advisor. Uh, director's advocate and also a, um, I guess, a, a cash flow specialist as well. In terms of, uh, as I understand it, Stuart, you, you're very much focused on working the uh, the cash flows out and incorporating that uh, in, into what you do. I mean, maybe you should say a little bit more about that. Yeah, yeah. Well, our recent conversations just in the last few weeks have been primarily focused around cash flow forecasting incorporating all those stakeholders in your business that's from the clients, the employees, the, the bank, the financiers, the, uh, all those other people, landlords and whatnot, into your cash flow forecasting and the stimulus packaging, packages that have been on, on offer. But also as part of a wider discussion about a business continuity plan and how that looks, business continuity is cash flow forecasting plus how you're going to operate, how you're going to deliver your product and services, commercials, the terms of business and all that sort of thing over a period of time. And that can have a couple of stages with three weeks, 13 weeks, 25 weeks, whatever it might be. Yeah, I guess, uh, I mean, you're always involved in, uh, well, primarily involved in turnaround scenarios. And um, so I guess we've sort of got the, the turnaround scenario of all turnaround scenarios at the moment yes. with the current environment, and what what sort of uh, what sort of extra or new challenges do you, do you, does that bring to the table, or is it is it is it just the same model, or how does that change? Well, I think it, with the, with the insolvency liability uh, uh, provisions that were brought into until September, you've got a unique scenario where your directors can find themselves protected to some point, but also, on the other side, they can't take to they can't take action to enforce statutory demands on recalcitrant debtors and things yeah. like that. And so, there's going to be an, there's an artificial mattress below uh, cash mattress below uh, businesses for this period, which is clearly the federal government's initiative and motivation to keep business going for a while. So, there's potentially three scenarios: mm -hmm. is that businesses with a good foundation are going to be able to go through and, and hopefully, number one, they'll kick on after September when there's confidence comes back in the economy. Or two, there is a 
safe turnaround, safe harbour turnaround uh, opportunity for businesses which are a little bit below that potentially. And then they'll move along, break even maybe, and then kick off um, with some great help from X and others like that. Uh, but sure. then there's the businesses which don't have the foundation uh, to, and we're probably struggling somewhat already. The stimulus will keep them going for a while, and they will, they will, their, their working capital will be limited. I was just talking about three scenarios. One is yeah. good businesses will survive. Two, yeah. the ones that are in the between will, you know, run into a safe harbour turnaround yeah. perspective. And then three of those businesses which are going to have a life for another few months due to the stimulus, yeah. but really yeah. are going to die. They'll, they'll yeah. have to close Well, down. I guess we've talked about uh, over the last few weeks, we've had various terminology. Elegant dismount is, is one of what we've talked about. Maybe people taking the opportunity if the business isn't going to survive to, 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 to hop, off, uh, yeah. hop off with a bit of dignity. But uh, I, I think that one, something that you, you said a little bit earlier um, goes back to business model. And later on, we'll talk a little bit about Virgin I'm not a yeah. Virgin expert. I mean, I, I fly Virgin, but it is interesting that uh, it seems to have had a flawed business model. But we'll get to that. I'll bring uh, I'll bring in uh, Angelina uh, next. Angelina Kazari from she's a partner at Piper, uh, with Piper Alderman here in Sydney. So we've covered Brisbane, and now we're here in Sydney. How are you, Angelina? I'm very well, Nick. How are you? I'm very well indeed. And uh, what uh, what what keeps uh, this uh, Piper Alderman partner busy this week? Um. Well, it, it's been pretty quiet on the insolvency front um, at the moment, but generally what I'm hearing in the market is that a lot of people are just waiting for um, to see how long this lasts and to see what they get in terms of stimulus payments before making a call on what they do in terms of the future of their businesses. And so that that's having a flow-on effect to my practice as an insolvency lawyer. Um, but it, it's been, from another perspective, really interesting to um, be able to utilise a lot more technology in terms of court appearances and, and things like that. Um, I think there's a, you know, there, there might be a, a long-term shift in how we, we work coming out of this. Um, we've been doing it for two months now and things seem to be working a lot better than they were at the start. And um, it, there's, there's been some really good um, road covered in terms of making sure that the courts are uh, technologically compliant, things like cross-examination are happening and there's there's very little business disruption on the the legal front. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that that's sort of happening through a lot of professional services firms. So, it's been an interesting couple of months and and week even from from that perspective. Um, a lot of a lot of this is just kicking the can down the road, for lack of a better way to put it. Um, yeah, look, I think uh, the, the thing is we're finding too that we'll, I, I've got a whiteboard in front of me here where if someone rings me up with a new deal, I put it on the whiteboard and. Um, I, I, I actually last Friday I had a guy ring me and he said, "Oh, look, we've got." Uh, what have I written down there? Bridging of a bridging of PE buy-in. So private equity was going to buy in, and could we look at it? It looks fantastic, um, but the phone hasn't rung since. And I think that people are sitting on their hands and seeing how things go. Now you were saying to me earlier in the week um, that you've set up certain processes to be able to deal with uh, some high volume situations. I think it was something to do with with leasing or with tenants or. Yeah, 
one of our leasing partners in our Sydney office, Margot King, has um is working with a lot of uh, people in terms of rent negotiations coming out of COVID nineteen and has a special package set up. So if any if anyone does have a need for that, um, anyone's clients or, or contacts have a need for that, feel free to reach out to me and I'll put you in touch with Margot because she's she's got a great product. It's it's cost effective in a time where I think people are very hesitant to um, to exercise discretionary spending and right. legal seem to be on that discretionary spending front. And sort of one of the things that I'm concerned about going into the post-COVID-19 um, world is a lot of contract renegotiations happening either verbally or poorly documented because people are not getting lawyers in to right. draft those documents and, and what kind of flow on effect that might have in terms of recovery actions and um, and just the the ongoing conduct of people's business post COVID nineteen. Yeah, I guess uh, it's it's one of those things where you, you might think that spending the money on legals is is optional, but uh, what is it that lawyers say? Something about the person who acts as themselves has got a fool for a client or something? Is that the is that that is that the one hundred percent correct? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now we're not going to go uh, cross the Malibu to to Perth and bring in Daniel Woodhouse. How are you going, Daniel? Great, Nick. Yourself? Not too bad. Now, Daniel's the managing director uh, over in Perth at uh, FTI Consulting, and uh, he, he's got the uh, corporate finance and restructuring team uh, in, in Perth there. What, um, what, what's keeping you busy at the moment, Daniel? What, what, what are people mainly ringing you when the phone rings? What's the most common asked question? Yeah, look, it's, it's really an interesting market at the moment and um, and sort of mirroring Stuart and Angelina's uh, comments, it's uh, the formal side of the market has definitely gone quiet. So uh, people aren't definitely not ringing up and asking about voluntary administrations and, and enforcement actions. Um, it's quite the opposite. Uh, we're getting uh, a lot of the calls coming in at the moment are in relation to um, our business has, has been dramatically impacted by COVID-19 and, and, um, and how do we get through. So a, a lot more of that strategic uh, restructuring advice being given and financial advising type roles. So um, this week um, I've been helping two private equity clients with significant amounts of cash into uh, investments that cross-border uh, investments. So they're, they're kind of looking at, well, uh, both deeply different sectors but both deeply impacted by um, travel restrictions and and. Um, and, and various uh, flow-on effects from COVID-19. So they're looking at, well, how can we restructure the, the business such that we can provide a, a barrier around what is the core business and, and, and what has been working particularly well. Um, so that when, right. when we get the COVID-19 environment, we, we have a business. That's interesting. I'm, I'm sure that's something that Stuart does as well, but you're talking about really identifying what the core is, I suppose, uh, uh, when you're looking at those scenarios? Yeah, exactly, cutting back to uh, well, a, a number of things. You're really looking at um, restructuring the business about providing a sustainable business at the back end of it, uh, and, and it's going to depend upon the circumstances. Um, I think the circumstances we're dealing with at the moment are pretty bespoke, um, but, you know, what that might look like for a different business, for businesses is different. So, um, you know, are we cutting it back to what their, their core service line is? Uh, are you needing to look at how you might restructure debt? Um, uh, so we've looked... Um, you know, it, our, our team over east have been working on a couple of fairly public matters that people will know. So, you know, the flight centre matter and the webjet matter. So, you know, acting as 
as financial advisors on those those businesses. So that they you know obviously impacted by by what's going on. I know that at FTI you, you're uh, you're involved a fair bit with private equity players as well. That's correct. That's right. Yes. Yeah, and and I guess what I'm hearing is that the, on one hand the private equity um, firms are sitting on cash and they're looking for opportunities or hoping for opportunities that come out of this. On the other hand, they have portfolios of businesses that, uh, yeah. that, that, that might be showing signs of impairment as well. Yeah, I think that, and that's exactly right. So we, we kind of, our private equity clients at the moment are, are really looking at both of those situations. And in fact, when you know, we were talking to them before, just as this was starting to unfold, they were literally uh, gearing up um, in terms of releasing cash into, the, into their various um, businesses around the globe in terms of to take advantage of exactly some of these opportunities that, that are going to flow out. And I think that that's it's one of the really interesting things is there is still plenty of money out there at the moment for the right business. So, you know, we looked at um, what was probably considered quite a surprising outcome with Flight Centre and Webjet and that people are prepared to put money uh, into those businesses in the current environment. But that people are taking a longer term view on those businesses and saying the underlying economics work, uh, the businesses are sound and sustainable. Uh, and we yeah. see this as an opportunity to to, to buy in at at, at, a, at a discount, presumably. Yeah, look, the prices are definitely at a discount at the moment, and you'd expect them to be. Um, yeah. And that's and that's part of the appeal to you know, your private equity and your fund players. They'll be looking at exactly that. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is a very interesting dynamic, isn't it? I guess uh, it, it applies to lenders as much as it applies to private equity as well. There's there's obviously, if you've got appetite, you would expect there would be opportunities that will come up. Uh, but by the same token, you've got to uh, you've got to look in house and make sure that uh, that your own ship's in order uh, in order as well. Um, okay, uh, we'll move on to some uh, some headlines. I clicked this one. I know that the the stock. I'm, I'm not a stock market expert. I'm, I'm useless at picking stocks. But what's interesting in this picture here is that the market dipped. Um, dramatically, obviously, as we know, and I guess you could have almost bought any one of those dips and you're probably looking okay at the moment. Um, and I, as I say, I know the market's come off today, but what, what is it that, that should we be um, taking something away, I guess something positive out of the fact that the market is up, we've got down to 4,500 points and then got up to 5,500 points. Um, is that reflecting optimism going forward, do you think? And is that something that we should... Uh, you know, we, we should we should um, you know be be looking uh, I guess uh, positively at. I'll start I'll start with you, Stuart. Yeah. Well, is there is there two things that happen that impact the stock market? I'll be a little bit sarcastic, but is is, it, is one the the American president and two what our what our rates are with the uh, with the um, COVID coronavirus infections and whatnot? I know in Queensland we've had second or third day of no infections, um, no more cases. Uh, are they the two things that are driving the stock market at the moment? It's, it's, let's say it's all about confidence. In a lot of the world I operate in, the stock, what, it, what the stock market is doing is doesn't have really a day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month impact on or a noticeable one on business. That might be a little bit different for, for, uh, for other levels of the community, but... Um, well, what I'm wondering about, though, Stuart, is is that what what what's got me is 
it, the stock market tends to look forward. So, you know, and the American stock market's been kicking up as well. Again, it came off last night, but it's it's also come come up similarly. So, you know, is it that that, that uh, this whole COVID crisis economically isn't going to be as bad as what we thought it was? You know, we've got high, you know, unemployment is growing. Unemployment's not coming off. Uh, there's more and more people seeking unemployment benefits, uh, et cetera. You know, businesses are closing. So right now in the real economy, um, you know, it's not, it's, it's a, a reasonably bleak picture. But when you look at the way the stock market's interpreting the future, and maybe it, it speaks a little bit to, to what Daniel uh, was saying earlier about, about flight center, et cetera. What do, what do you think, Angelina? Um, call me an eternal optimist, but I, I think, and this is something that I've spoken to you about before, Nick, I think Australians are quite agile and we have this benefit of being an island and being relatively isolated. So closing of borders is a pretty, you know, drastic but straightforward process for us. And um, I, I think in terms of in terms of long term recovery, I think I think it will happen. But consistent with things that Stuart's been saying, the the reality is that the the recovery is going to be very different for companies who are already in trouble and that includes a lot of people in the retail and hospitality industries and and presumably the travel industries but that that sort of recovery is going to be very different to um to companies where they don't have the right structure in in place already yeah um but I, i'm i'm optimistic about what the future is going to look like. And I think now we're moving into a recovery plan rather than a crisis management plan. And I think people need to start thinking about where they see their businesses being in, you know, six to 12 months time. And I should I should say as well, um, I know nothing about the stock market. I don't do that kind of work. So, um, and it's not something that, is, is a personal interest of mine that I, I follow closely, but looking at how those trends reflect on the SME space, which is um, in my wheelhouse, that, that's how I perceive the, the market generally at the moment. Daniel, um, I guess uh, obviously the, the circles that you move in, I suppose you, you'd be seeing more listed entities and what have you. I mean, I'm interested in, I guess a firm like your, uh, like yours, you'd be uh, scenario planning and, and have some sort of a view on what things are going to look like three and six months out. I mean, do you, do you think the stock market is onto something or is it, uh, are they not seeing what the rest of us are seeing? Uh, look, I'm, um, again, a bit like Angelina, I'm the eternal optimist with these sorts of things. And apart from trying to avoid looking at my share portfolio and, and superannuation fund at the moment, because it's obviously like everybody's taken a real hit. Um, I, I look at this as is very consistent with, with what we've seen in other economic shocks. Um, you know, if we, if we go back to um, the GFC, we had a, obviously a massive shock to the economy and the, and the stock market at that point in time. And then an extended period of, um, of recovery. I think that period, that time was about six years for the market to kind of recover. So I see the current um, the current market as, as an opportunity because I think that there are, um, and again, this is going on with what Stuart and Angelina have said, there's the underlying business principles of, you know, of good performing businesses don't change um, because of this, that they, they are hit like every other business. But um, ultimately, you know, you look at Coles and Woolworths are selling, 
you know, staples, they will continue to need to be be there. And um, as long as they're well managed and driving profits, then you'd expect their share prices to to, to improve. So I think over time we will see the market bounce. And, I, and look, again, I'm not a um, not I don't play in this space either. But um, if we look at historically what has happened, um, the market should rebound. And I, and I think right now is a real opportunity um, to to be buying good value or undervalued stocks depending on the on the business you're looking at. So I see it as an opportunity also. Yeah, I mean, look, again, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of uh, not necessarily thinking about whether or not you should buy stocks, but just wondering that yeah. because the stock market has come up a thousand points, whether or not that that's a good sign, uh, a good sign for the economy. We'll move on to the next, uh, the next one, um, I think. Oop, we've gone too far. Hang on a sec. Uh, all right, so this particular article here, um, is specifically talking about the bondholders of Virgin um, have got their own their own uh, advisors. Uh, reminds me of I can't remember what matter it was. You know, 20 years ago or longer probably when uh, Malcolm Turnbull re represented the Belgian dentists. I think they were uh, who were bondholders. I can't remember what the entity was, but but so the bond. I, I guess I don't necessarily want to get into the nitty gritty of uh, of that. But a couple of things. Firstly, already Stuart and Daniel. You've talked about uh, identifying the core business and, and just using Virgin as a case study. I mean, you know, th there was an article in the paper last week by Chris Corrigan, who at one time was at the helm of Virgin, and he was saying that they had a very simple business model. They, they had uh, the whole fleet constituted of the same aircraft, uh, so it was efficient from that point of view. It was all about low cost. They didn't have uh, business class. You know, I, I wonder whether or not that's um, – if there's lessons there – for small and medium-sized businesses alike. Daniel, I'll start with you. Yeah, look, I think the Virgin um, matter is it's obviously very topical and very interesting at the moment. And, you know, it's probably worth noting that, um, you know, Virgin um, had issues prior to COVID-19. Um, it's, it's, you know, there's a class of companies that we call zombie companies and they're effectively companies that can't meet their, their principal and interest repayments, they can meet operating costs, you know, and then that goes on for a number of years. Well, Virgin sat in that class of business. So um, so it's fair to say they've had problems now for, for an extended period. Uh, and, and you kind of think um, that COVID-19 may have brought on um, the the what what needed to happen with Virgin. And, and I wonder whether or not some somewhat of the appointment has been strategic to, to deal with, with some of those issues. So... I think what is going to happen with Virgin is um, it's hopefully very different than what happened with Ansett, and that's probably more circumstantial. Um, but there are there are going to be some really interesting bioplays come out of this, and, and that's going to be in relation to the stakeholders of very different interests. So if we look at, you know, who's secured over Virgin at the moment, most of them are over specific uh, planes. There's no, uh, as I understand it, um, no no security that blankets the entirety of the business. So right. we're going to get to a situation where you've got uh, people who have interest in domestic planes and flights, and then you're going to have others that will be on the wide body or, or the planes they use to fly internationally. And you can oh. see a situation where um, those interests will, will diverge because anyone wanting to buy the business won't particularly want to be encumbered with planes that are, are not going to be suitable for, for domestic, uh, sorry, anything but domestic business, at least in the short term. Yeah, look, I think it's it's an interesting question about business model as well. You know, what 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 business it, they were in the business of the low cost, as I mm. say, they they didn't have class, they didn't have business lounges, 
uh, and look, I've been a frequent flyer of virgins for for, mm. for the last number of years, and uh, um, you know, so uh, I've got a vested interest in that point of view. But but what what do you think, Stuart? I mean, you know, there there is that. I mean, they had the low cost model, and then they tried to compete head to head with Qantas with full service. I guess you could call it that the full service versus the budget model. I mean, you must see a little bit of that when you're advising small businesses. Yeah, there, there, there's a constant pressure, I guess, at that listed level where where shareholders want more value of what of from their investment and more profits and more growth. Moving, uh, arguably, they moved away from that low cost model, uh, core 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 uh, operating model, and they had to add on more and more and more from that demand from the shareholder or the executive level to do, to do more. The board level. They need to do more. They they need to do this and this and this because there's a constant pressure to grow and to provide yeah. better returns. And so that pressure, I guess, with the the the, the pressure of uh, being able to pay for all the planes, those operating mm. overheads and whatnot. I mean, it must have been very difficult for them. And with all due respect to Mr. Corrigan, he was potentially worried about criticism that would reach back to his time. But he's quite. He seems quite right from the outside, from my, from our perspective, is is that he was doing it there, and where it's come to here is a long way from where they where it started. But, but he he had a basic, he had all the same aircraft. He had a a low cost model, so he had a very defined place in the market. But um, and I, and I, look, I, I know that uh, when I meet a new, you know, when I go out and see a, a business for the first time. Uh, I think one of the best questions that you can ask someone is why do your customers buy from you and not from the business down the road? And that, that if you can explain, you know, what your value proposition and what your business yeah. model is, yeah. I think it's a powerful thing. Your core, the, the core operating uh, model or your core product or service you offer, you don't want to get, to, uh, in the past couple of years, you don't want to get diverted from that, even if you yeah. add to it. But now is a time that you can pivot and reset what, that model looks like clearly and then start to work towards that. Sorry. Angelina, I wanted to ask you another thing that this particular article brings up and actually Daniel identified it even more so than what I was aware is um, competing secured creditor interests. So I'm sure you've probably been involved in one or two uh, secured creditor dust-ups where you've got different different secured creditors, uh, you know, God, God, God forbid with the, the unsecureds, but uh, um, what what um, do you think that in this environment that 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 that, that uh, tension changes or what experience have you had with that? I don't think that anything is going to change in terms of competing um, interest between secured creditors just because of COVID nineteen. I think what is going to change are things um, that are happening in Virgin, for example, like Perth Airport trying to retain the aircraft and exercise liens. Um, I think there's, people are trying to explore and exploit any opportunity that they have to get priority, whether or not it's right at law or, or not, just right. to put, put additional pressure to get their money back. And I think what happens with over leveraged businesses like Virgin is that there is, there is so much debt, which they've acquired cheaply, like, like you've said, um, and that that debt still exists from the creditor uh, to, from the creditor's perspective to pay their ongoing liabilities as well. So I think um, I, I think we're 
if we see anything from COVID-19 in terms of creditors, I think it will be a strong pushback on, um, on, on I guess, reducing their, their security or um, lessening their position and people will be a lot stronger in, in pressing for payments. And I, I think that's even going to flow through to things like unfair preference claims that are going to come out of this, not only in Virgin, but in other administrations. I, I think creditors are are going to be a lot more vocal about their rights. I think yeah. creditors are going to be a lot more resistant to preference claims when they come. And yeah. Daniel, I don't, I don't know what you're you're getting at as an insolvency practitioner at the moment, but I, I just think that it will. Um, COVID nineteen's ongoing impact in in the creditor space will really be um, about exerting as much power as they possibly can to right, um, we'll, 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 their own business is going. Okay. All right, well, look, we'll move on to the next one. Um, so I've got here, uh, NAB ushers in banking's ugly new normal. Now, what these some of these articles are about uh, are the NAB and I think the ANZ, well, the NAB raised capital and cut, uh, cut its dividends, correct me if I'm wrong here, and I think the ANZ announced that they were cutting dividends as well. Um, they're, they're basically trying to preserve capital or raise capital to preserve capital. Um, and there's uh, analysis, there's been a couple of uh, different bits of analysis basically saying that the banks are looking at anything, anything upwards of $30 billion in, uh, in write-offs, uh, in particular to their business clients, obviously. Um, I know that when we've been trying to deal with, uh, with, with the asset management parts of banks, it's been very hard to get on the phone because they're very busy just with, with COVID payments. Um, what, 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 what do you think, Daniel? Do you think that, um, do you think that the banks are lining up to, 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 to take some hits? Look, I think in, in, inevitably it's going to, they're going to come. Yes. So I, I think so. Yes, is the short answer. And I think this kind of flows into some of the things that Stuart was saying earlier around, uh, you know, there are going to be businesses that fail through this, uh, through this. And it's, there are a number of reasons, um, but essentially what you're doing is you're pulling, you, you're not you're not cutting uh, liabilities and expenses that are, are being incurred with some of these stimulus packages, but what you are doing is taking away the corresponding revenue. So you, you're kind of getting to this position where businesses are, are going to have the same amount of liabilities that they would have had, but the revenue for these periods is going to be significantly less. Well, Servicing is obviously going to be difficult, but then there's uh, the asset values and all that sort of stuff that comes yeah. into play as well. Yeah, and I think it. I think it's more. It's more than that. It's not just servicing through this period. I think it's going to be the economy is just not going to restart. You're not. You're not going to, to go out there on day one of um, of COVID nineteen, post COVID nineteen, and business is going to be able to meet their their rent, their lease liabilities, and their, their bank payments and things like that. This is going to be something that's going to have to be rolled out over an extended period of time for businesses to survive. Otherwise, we are going to see mass mass failures. Yeah, I mean, look, the other thing that, you know, I would add is that, you know, we've got to appreciate that the banks have just come through fairly rigorous uh, periods with banking royal commissions and Senate inquiries and, and things like that. So there, there may also be, and I, I don't know, but there could be a strategic element to uh, to dealing with write-offs and things like that in a in a COVID-19 environment that, you know, and, I, and I, I've, some of the things we, we talk to businesses about is that, that there can be some silver linings to what's going on at the moment, and that is, you know, no one, everyone understands what's going on with COVID-19. If you, to, to give yourself the best opportunity of being able to come through this, then 
there is really an opportunity if you're proactive here to uh, to restructure your balance sheet and make yourself stronger. And do you think that um, you know we can, if we if if we're seeing that the banks are you know if they are going to be taking hits of upwards of thirty billion dollars, I mean are there opportunities? Do you think that they'll be open to negotiation on 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 you know for haircuts and what have you? Uh, look, I, I think so. Yes, um, I mean, I think that the banks were open. They're open to a whole host of things that they, you know, traditionally wouldn't have seen. Um, I, look, I think that um, uh, you know, I've, I've definitely assisted company side where there's been um, been some negotiations around banks taking haircuts on on debt. But I mean, obviously, where they're well in, where where they are well secured and and their position. Uh, is strong. I mean, they still have obligations to shareholders um, to make sure that yeah. they, you know, so all of those things play into it. But I think, yes, I mean, people will be, be flexible through this period, I would have thought. And Stuart, um, I, I'm thinking that uh, that when, you know, whenever we do come, come out of this on the other side, a lot of businesses are really going to be looking at, I think, their capital requirements is something that Daniel touched mm. on there. Um, you know, they're, they're, they've... Uh, They've gone through, you know, they've emptied the, the hollow log, or well, the log's now hollow. They've emptied their stores um, what, to just to survive. And then when business does start up again, they're, they're going to almost need startup capital, I think, is what they're going to be looking for. And I guess that's where your, uh, your cash flow forecasting is certainly going to uh, become popular. Well, yes. I mean, they're working capital to to invest in their business to to get kicked along as well as, as, well as they possibly can be. It's going to be hugely important. And that's that's where you come into the picture, of course, Nick, and 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 and, um, and their existing financiers and banks and whatnot. Um, it, it's enormously, enormously, especially come October when they don't the, the job keepers ceased, the tax office is uh, is open for business again. You're going to have to uh, negotiate an instalment plan for all the accumulated taxes you haven't paid over over, over a period, and then you actually got to go out and woo woo your clients and see. What can you do to expand your offering uh, or, or consolidate your offering to your existing clients and seek more clients and, and start to get the ball rolling? And I mean, you look at some industries that, that, that is, things are ticking along at the moment and their working capital is fine, you know, manufacturing and logistics, supply chain, you know, blue collar, uh, blue collar yeah. recruitment, you know, things like that. Yeah. And, you know, in the mines and everything, the mines are, are rolling along. Um, yeah. So your working capital, sure. as always, is is extremely important, but the ability to go to, to have that some liquid liquid cash to, uh, to 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 actually grow and invest, take on a new client, take on a new contract to supply another fifty people to that to the manufacturing guy who who doesn't want those. That's, that's what we're, I'm expecting that you know, we'll get hit with people who say, right, I've just won a job, I need to put fifty people. Uh, and a couple of machines yeah. out and, you know, we've run out of money. Can you help us? And that's when we'll be saying, well, look, we'll need to see how this thing cash flows, um, yeah. uh, etc." Yeah. I saw this article here. Actually, this is from the Wall Street Journal. And uh, I was thinking that this whole COVID crisis, there's things that we haven't even thought of. And this is the, an article about um, uh, a lot of beer is sitting in pubs, I guess. Uh, imagine all those kegs of beer and what have you that uh, they're just going, literally going stale. Uh, I, I guess there must be a fair bit of that. There are things that, that I wouldn't have thought of, but, uh, yeah. Have you, have you got any uh, clients with um, stale beer, Daniel? No, I, I don't, Nick, but I'm having a bit of a laugh because I, I, I was aware of that, of that being an issue and um, 
I've seen some creative solutions. So I'm aware that there's a pub in Melbourne that's actually uh, pouring beer into um, takeaway containers, if you like, or takeaway bottles uh, and selling takeaway beers um, out of the keg. So um, people aren't are dealing with it that way. But it's, um, I think, look, it is really interesting and it comes back, and I'm, I'm sure Stuart and Angelina both said this, but the businesses that are that are pivoted and are nimble in the way they're dealing with it and coming up with creative solutions, they, they're continuing to keep revenue coming through the door um, through through periods where others who are less nimble or less creative are not. So there is, there's, you know, there's always, um, you always need to be thinking um, nimbly and, and quickly. And I think, Stuart, you, you touched on this point earlier. I, you know, I think one of the difficulties that, you know, and I think Nick, this will be right in your wheelhouse is, you know, when when we start to come out of this, people, credit will be difficult, um, I think, and not just debt funding, but just even working capital funding. So if you're, if you're supplying into a business and the business has got no cash and it needs terms, you know, you, you, you be, I'd be advising my clients, you want to be trying to get cash up front or, or you know, at least your terms as, as low as possible to mitigate, and that's obviously not in the best interest of the of the party seeking funding, so or, or credit. So those are going well, to be an issue. I'd refer uh, anyone watching to go to our very first uh, live stream um, uh, where where we, I spoke um, with Travis Dix from NCI, and we talked about uh, he's in credit insurance. We talked about all the sort of things that people should be looking out for. Um, uh, Angelina, I haven't seen. Yeah, the Iron Duke hasn't been handing out buckets of beer, unfortunately. Uh, not that, not that I noticed. That's that's the local pub uh, to where Angelina and I, and I are right now. Look, uh, we are uh, we are sort of uh, running out of time. So I'll just. Uh, has anyone got any sort of questions they'd like to ask any of their, the other panelists? I'm interested in what the uh, Daniel or Angelina think about. The, the business model for your office spacing or restaurant spacing in, into the future, what's your business model going to look like when you can only have four people in that space where you used to have 10 squished into the FDI Consulting Perth office where you'd have them there like chickens in a hen yard in a, in a thing. Like this, now they've got to be like this. So it's going to be interesting. What, what do you think? The, the business model? I, I think one of the... The big long-term impacts that's going to come from this is professional services firms renting huge amounts of office space, realising how productive people are in flexible work arrangements. I think it's going to have a big long-term impact. And, and I'm talking over the next two, three decades as, as leases run out. Um, I, think, I think that's going to be the biggest impact on space. But at, at the moment, I think we're, we're finding that the social distancing thing is fine in a professional services environment just because there are so many people who are working remotely and, and we've got the technology set up to be able to do that. Um, I'm obviously working from home at the moment, but it's um, it, I think the, the bigger impact is going to be this, this long-term issue with professional services firms just not leasing the same kind of floor space that they are now saving huge amount on in terms of their overheads moving forward. Well, that's going to impact uh, the, the, the super funds and all the rest of it. Look, we are out of time. So uh, I would like to say uh, thank you very much to Stuart Craig in Brisbane. Thanks for, for joining us, Stuart. Thank you, Angelina Kazari from, uh, from Sydney and Daniel Woodhouse from Perth. Uh, thank you very much to all of you for joining us. And uh, we look forward to seeing you all again soon. Cheers.